Would you pray with me as we jump into this morning's message? Lord, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing inside me, Lord. And I just pray in your name that you would uh, overwhelm the enemy, the enemy of our soul. Lord, we understand we're in a spiritual war and that he uh, is there seeking whom he may devour. And I pray in your name, Jesus, that you guard everyone here. You guard those of us, Lord, who are online, those who claim this church as their home and for believers everywhere. Lord, bring us closer to you than we've ever been before. May your message today, Lord, uh, not carry a hint of Anthony on it, but Lord, might it be your words, your message. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. When we first started this series, this mini-series, mini-series, it just reminds me of something you'd see like uh, on TV. Uh, Anyway, this mini-series, two-thirds is not enough. This was a direct reference to the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and of course, God the Holy Spirit. And so that's the reference that we've been working with. Uh, And when we first started out, we, we took a good long look, I thought, at who the Holy Spirit is. Um, this is not a comprehensive review, but I'd like to kind of jog your memory. Uh, three, three weeks ago, we, we visited uh, on the top. Fortunately, fortunately, Jesus didn't do that for us in the Bible. Fortunately, Jesus is super clear. He's not sending you predictive texts, but he's sending you specific messages. Amen? Oh, that's good. I should write that down. Not predictive texts, but specific messages for you. Now, I, I, want, I want to point out that these are quotes from Jesus. Look with me at John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, some specific messages from Jesus for us. It says, and I will pray to the Father, or I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, and that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Wow. Those are some great promises, aren't they? Right there in the scripture, specific for you. Look at John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. It says, these things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus, while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Isn't that encouraging? And bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Whoa, that's good too. Look at John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Ooh, that's good too, isn't it? Look at John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, this is Jesus talking. Isn't that an amazing thought, right? He's saying it's going to be to your advantage that I leave. Never in my life, if I would, with Jesus in the physical sense, would I have ever thought it would be to my advantage for him to leave. But right here in the scripture, this is the conversations he's having with his disciples. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What about that? 
Isn't that encouraging? Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. Wow. This is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. And what we see here, and this is what I really want you to see, just as what I want you to remind you of, that the Holy Spirit is a person, that he speaks, and that he's going to talk with you, and an intimate, ongoing relationship is available with the Holy Spirit, this God that you serve, this God that lives within you. This is what's available for you. The word helper, interestingly, comes from a Greek word, parakletos. And if you were to break that up, it would mean to come alongside. Para mean alongside. Kletos means to come. So Jesus said, I'm going to send you someone that is going to come alongside you and he's going to help you. Uh, hopefully that you find that encouraging. This is what's being referenced again and again and again. So how does he come alongside you? By being on the inside of you. Isn't that encouraging? For he dwells with you and will be in you. That's what John chapter 14, verse 17 says. He's going to be on the inside of you. So in that message just a few weeks ago, uh, we reviewed that he's your helper and that he's your friend and that he's your God, this Holy Spirit. And we also considered the fact that he has a mind and that he has a will and that he has emotions. And then last week, this very last week, we spent time studying the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And just for the sake of clarity, okay, uh, there are motivational gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. There are additional ministry gifts spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And of course, in Ephesians chapter 4, you have the ministerial gifts or the gifts of Jesus, which would be the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But we ran through the nine manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit, nine in total. And we broke them into three categories. You have the discerning gifts. You have the declarative gifts. And you have the dynamic gifts, all very important to the life of a believer and all very available for the believer. I just say this, I think I know in part, understand in part, and communicate in part. We don't know everything about the Holy Spirit. We would like to know. We know what is available for us in Scripture, and that's why we just go back to that. But when I read the Scripture, when I read the Bible, I see inclusive language that the Holy Spirit wasn't just set apart for a special class of people, that the Holy Spirit wasn't set apart for a special collection or just a few people who might be open to receiving Him. But the Holy Spirit was for everybody. And I believe the Holy Spirit to be at work within you and within me. Some of you who might not even describe yourself as one of those types, I believe to be gifted when God sees fit with these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And you know, there have been, by the way, well-respected non-tongue-speaking types like D.L. Moody and R.A. Torrey, just to name a couple, who sought the Holy Spirit earnestly and then had a power encounter and their life was changed forever their ministry was changed forever and we benefited because of that so i'm not smart enough to describe all the intimacies and all the details of how and who the holy spirit is i'm just smart enough to say two-thirds of god is not 
enough. Amen? You need all of him. You need all of him. That means the Holy Spirit. So what I would just say to you, and maybe even to myself, is don't limit your relationship with God because you had some bad experiences with some nut jobs along the way. Can I say that? Can I say that? And let me apologize for all of those nut jobs. For I, I, I have been one of them. I was proud when I should have been humble. I was hard-nosed with my doctrine when I thought I had God all figured out, right? I was self-centered, self-important, and self-righteous. And I was a sweaty mess because the pastor I worked for made sure that I wore jeans while I was playing kickball with the kids. It was horrible. So I also apologize for being sweaty, right, in case I bumped into you back then. So if you think to yourself, though, privately, privately, hey, I have some nut job tendencies, let me remind you, okay, that there are no less loved Christians and there are no less valuable believers to treat people any other way is, is a cruel thing to do. And if you do it, that's wrong. You're wrong, and that is sin. Sin separates you from God, and then sin separates you from the body. And apart from the body, the way the Holy Spirit would like to use you will suffer as a consequence. But again, I would just say this. Don't limit yourself in your relationship with God. Don't live below your spiritual potential, my friends. God has an unlimited uh, potential available for you. He has unlimited resources. He has unlimited power, and he has unlimited intimacy that you can have with him. And so I don't want you, and I don't want to be limited, and I don't want you to, in turn, live in a way that is less than satisfying spiritually. Now, here this may be as a call, right? If you're caught up in worldliness or maybe prayerlessness or, or you struggle uh, with some bitterness or maybe you're bound by some sexual sin uh, uh, and y you're walking beneath your spiritual potential, you're inhibiting the Holy Spirit's work in you. And, and by doing that, you're limiting the Holy Spirit's work through you. So I, I want you to hear this as a call from God, from the Holy Spirit, to connect with him and in him. And if you do that, so many other things will just start to naturally fall in line in your life. Things will come together. You'll just make him the focus automatically in your life. You won't be worshiping the gift, but you'll be worshiping the giver. If you're worried though, that you'll never receive the gift that God has for you, then, then you've already focused on the gift. Just focus on the Lord. Just focus on the Holy Spirit and say, I want the fullness of what this relationship can be like with you, Lord. Amen. You're not coming through me. You're not going through anybody else. You're one-on-one you're -on -one with the Lord, and you shouldn't hold anything back from him. He wants everything, every quarter inch of your heart. So the baptism that I want to talk to you about is, is Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we're going to read that. This is John the Baptist speaking, 
Okay, Matthew's quoting John the Baptist here. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit and fire. So Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist wasn't speaking, by the way, to the 12 disciples, right? The 12 disciples haven't even been called yet by Jesus. They're called in Matthew chapter 4. So many people are going to say, well, this, this was a message for the 12 disciples, or this was a message for the 120 in the upper room. No, no, this is to everybody. John the Baptist is saying the Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and it's for everyone. So this is different than... Um, being baptized, let me just say it this way. Being baptized by the Holy Spirit is different than being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does baptize us. There is a work that he does. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, part A. It says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. So this is speaking of the baptism done by the Holy Spirit when you get saved. The Holy Spirit's wooing you. He's pulling you in. He's doing a supernatural work on the inside of you. You might want to give somebody credit in your life for bringing you to Christ, but really, let's just be honest, it was the Holy Spirit bringing you in. It was he who baptized you into the body. That's the work that we're talking about. And in the moment, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. John is talking about the baptism that takes place after you get saved. Now, I've referenced Matthew, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also in Mark, Luke, and John. And I believe that to be a significant factor. Matthew, Mark, Luke record approximately the last, uh, the, the third year of Jesus' ministry. Um, we use the beheading of John the Baptist as kind of a marker on the calendar. Uh, John, the Gospel of John, covers the first two years of Jesus' ministry. So Matthew, Mark, Luke cover the third year of Jesus' ministry. That's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic Gospels or the uh, similar Gospels because they kind of record the same time frame. What's covered, though, in all four Gospels is interesting. How many of you are curious to know? I'm... <laughs> There in the four Gospels are covered five things. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. All three of those are very important, aren't they? And then number four, the feeding of the 5,000. But lo and behold, what is additionally included in all Gospels is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. He puts it in all four Gospels. How many of you think that's kind of interesting? That he found it to be so significant, that he found it to be so important, that he made sure it was in all four Gospels. So real quick, let me just give you the references for the other three Gospels. In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist says, Indeed, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You could look at Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then you've got John chapter 1, verse 33. The scripture here says, this is John, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, he... This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus 
let's just get this out here, is not just the baptizer, but Jesus is also our example. You might be curious, when, when did he show us that this was so important? Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. The scripture says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was opened above them. Isn't that amazing? I I would have loved to have been there for that. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So this is metaphor. This is simile. We're not saying all doves are the Holy Spirit, right? But this this is describing what it was like. And this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit being represented here, coming upon Jesus. And so I've got a real quick question for you. If Jesus needed the person of the Holy Spirit when he was on earth, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit in our life? Right? It's a legitimate question. It's something that I'm wrestling with currently. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit so strong in his life, I I too, I too need the Holy Spirit in my life. And you do as well. I'm reminded of a preacher from yesteryear, you know, kind of old-timey story that I collected here. And, and back in the day, instead of calling the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, they would often call him uh, the Holy Ghost. How many of you remember when they used to call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost? And sometimes we still slip into that, and I, 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 think, it's, I think it's okay. But here's the story. It was a country church, and, and um, you know, it was kind of an old sanctuary, and, and they had removed a light fixture that was above the pulpit area, and, uh, and, but they had not drywalled back up over the light fixture, so there was just a hole in the ceiling. And so the pastor was getting ready to preach, and he says, this is going to be a perfect opportunity to give an illustrated sermon. So he got a dove, and he, he asked the little guy, he says to the little boy, would you go up in the attic? And when I, when I talk about the Holy Ghost coming down, I want, you to, I want you to throw the dove down through that little hole. And he says, yes, sir, I can do that. Yes, pastor, I'm, I'm going to go up there. And so he gets ready to do that. And so as the pastor's preaching along, he says, and the Holy Ghost came. No dove. He tried again. He went along. He says, and the, and the, and the Holy Ghost came down. Still, still no dove. Still no dove. Getting a little nervous. And so then he says really loud, thinking, you know, must, we must have a lot of insulation up there. And the Holy Ghost came. And, and the Holy Ghost didn't come. And, but he heard a little voice from, from the attic. Pastor, a cat ate the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Do you want me to throw the cat down? <laughs> Oh, man, we've come so far. Or maybe not far enough. Allow me to share a couple of interesting selections from our our history, really, our church history. You can find a lot of this in in Acts. Philip, who's a deacon, goes to Samaria, and and he starts preaching. Uh, God gets a bunch of people saved. It's amazing. Look at Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. The scripture says, And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, how exciting is that? They sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Uh, They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord. Jesus, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that exciting? Clearly, they got saved, right? Uh, They got water baptized, and then they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And by the way, this doesn't have to be your pattern, really. Mrs. Plotz, who is a part of the church here, I don't see her here this morning, but she taught my Bible uh, class growing up in high school, and she got baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, in her bedroom, kneeling down beside her bed, singing, uh, you know, praying privately right there. So this doesn't have to be your experience, but the Holy Spirit would like to baptize you. My wife, Kristen, was baptized in college at a Dave Reaver. How many of you guys know that name? Dave Reaver. We were at one of his revival services in Owensboro, Kentucky, and we were in the back row just doing worship, and no one laid hands on Kristen, as far as I know, and, and she, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it, the Holy Spirit does what he wants to do as long as we're open to receiving him. Look at Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Then they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? And they replied, John's baptism. Oh, okay. Paul's kind of getting the big picture now. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, right? That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So the Holy Spirit coming on people, Let's just get this out there. Did not start and stop in Acts chapter 2. It happened in Acts chapter 8. It will happen again in Acts chapter 10 with the Gentiles. And then we just read about Acts 19. So Acts, consider this also. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip went to Samaria and he was preaching and that great event took place, that was five years after Pentecost. Interesting, right? And then in Acts 10, when the Gentiles received and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, that happened 10 years after Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 19, we just read about this, uh, that took place 25 years after Pentecost. So it didn't just happen in one spot, in one moment. It happened spread out over 25 years, we just read about, and the Holy Spirit's still doing it in the world today. There's a gift of tongues, okay? There's also the grace of tongues. There is a message from God. When when the message comes in tongues, uh, that should be interpreted, right? But there's also a prayer language that's not from God, but it is to God. There's a different thing happening there, right? The Holy Spirit's at work in a different way. Every believer, I believe, can pray in a prayer language to God. That's what I believe the scripture says. But just to be clear, when the gift of tongues uh, is spoken in certain environments, there needs to be an interpretation. How many of you have small children, maybe a collection of them? I I have a collection of children. And and, um, on occasion, I don't know what they're talking about. They probably don't know what I'm talking about. You probably don't know what I'm talking about either sometimes, do you? But here I am sometimes trying to interpret, kind of figure out, do you 
do you want something? Do you need something? They, they'll say something. And then one of the other children would be like, oh, no, let me, let me tell you what they're telling, trying to tell you. They want more candy or they want me to drive faster over the hills. I don't know. But there is an interpretation that takes place, right, that I just can't get on my own. How many of you have ever had that experience? I know I'm not making that up. Okay, there's like eight of us. 10 of us, all right, because you just don't know exactly what they're saying all the time, and you're depending on an interpretation to clarify what is being said, and so that's what it's like many times when we receive a message, but I want to talk to you about the prayer language. I want you to understand, number one, that it is biblical. It is biblical. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Notice he speaks to God. That's the phrasing, right? It's not a message from God. So he speaks in a tongue. He speaks to God in the spirit. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reading the Bible. This, this is what the scripture has for us right now. So Paul's talking about speaking in tongues. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 through 17. The scripture says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Uh, What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will uh, he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So you see what's happening here. Paul, by the way, um, really, he, he penned this, but it was God who authored this. This is in the scripture. This is in the Bible. This is why we don't turn our eye away from it. In fact, we embrace it because we can trust the scripture. Paul is the greatest of the apostles, really. And this activity of praying in the Spirit is what he's talking about. And, and he says something I find very interesting. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 18 and 19. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's kind of more than a humble brag, isn't it? It makes me feel a little uneasy. But that's Paul, and Paul's allowed to say that. I'm not going to say that, but this is what he's saying. Look at verse 19. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's clearly defining what's appropriate for certain settings. But later on, he says this. Look at verse 39. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Whoa, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Why would he have to say that unless it was a temptation for some to forbid speaking in tongues? Maybe you don't know that temptation personally, or maybe you do. Let me just throw it out to you this way. Have you ever personally forbid yourself from speaking in tongues? Have you put the damper on when you felt like you were getting too carried away, that you were too opened up? I I don't believe that we should forbid the speaking of tongues. I don't believe you should quench the spirit in your own life. Don't forbid it, especially in your own life. In fact, I would say pray in that prayer language. So number one, it's biblical. Number two, it is a benefit. 
It is a benefit to pray in a prayer language. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, people use this to put down praying in tongues. Um, I have a problem with that, actually. Uh, this word, but, is uh, a conjunction, right, in Greek. Uh, the same word is used well over 2,700 times throughout Scripture, and most of the time, interestingly, it's not translated but, but it's translated and. And so you could read it this way. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, and he who prophesies edifies the church. So it's not an either-or proposition, right? That's the trick that some people would have you fall into. In fact, I understand that there is some contrast being created here with the verse, with the wording, with the Greek. I'm not denying that the Greek is trying to show some contrast here. I'm not denying that, but I would maybe argue that the contrast complements the unit as a whole. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? I don't see this as two different ideas. I see them as interconnected, interlaced, leaning one on the other. I believe he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, and that's a good thing. And he who prophesies edifies the church. That is also a good thing. Would you like to receive a prophecy from a weak person? No. <laughs> I should have done the Pastor Steve and had the answer up there. <laughs> no. No, be strong. The Holy Spirit wants to give you strength. But listen to the first part. It says, he who prays in a tongue or speaks tongues edifies. This word means to build up, builds himself up. Can I just ask you something? What's wrong with that? Right? How could that be a bad thing in a person's life? When you read the Bible, you build yourself up, right? Right? When I read the Bible privately, I'm building myself up. When I read the Bible publicly in our, in our church, I'm building all of us up, right? We're just talking about where you're getting built up at, right? That's the differentiation. That's what's being described here. And so let me say it another way. Really, you need to be built up privately, and you need to be built up publicly, right? So don't just, you know, choose one or the other. Don't fall for that trick. Have them both. You can have your cake and eat it, too, with the Holy Spirit, and I don't even know what that phrasing means, but how many of you like cake? <laughs> Is this a difference between private and public, building yourself up? We know that Ephesians chapter 6 talks uh, about the armor of God, right? Uh, the problem is, though, that we stop reading it uh, where there is no period. Um, the scripture says to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the day of evil and having done all to stand. And we need to stand in this day because this day is kind of getting eviler, right? It's not looking real good out there. But the next, look at, look at these two verses with me, if you will. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. And take, uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with the prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Huh. I'm going to read that again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So if you add that with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you understand that we're talking about uh, praying in the Spirit, a prayer language. Look at Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he who speaks in the tongue builds himself up. And so we get it, praying in the spirit builds you up. And you need to build yourself up, especially in this time and in this day. How many of you realize that I often get mistaken for a bodybuilder? Thank you for laughing. You know, we did those anonymous surveys not too long ago. Somebody said, Anthony is not funny. <laughs> Just, the devil's alive. <laughs> the truth, let's just put this out there. You need to be built up. And I believe I'm looking at some people who understand. I know you, this is a strong church. You know, when COS gets pushed on, we stand. And we take some amazing stands here. You're not afraid to stand on the truth. You're not afraid to love people who, who are a little difficult to love sometimes. I'm that guy for you probably. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is you need to be edified. Number three, it is a choice. It, it is a choice. You're thinking, you're telling me this is a choice that I have to make? Uh, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to open myself up to the spiritual realm. And on some level, that would make sense, right? But look at the scripture, the, the Bible, uh, the, the truth that we build our lives on in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's good. That's the promise. That's for you. That's for me. Do you really think that if you're sincere, the loving God that cared so much to send his son to the cross to die for your sins is going to give you a demon, right? Do you think God's up there? <laughs> I know they asked for the Holy Spirit, but this is going to surprise them. No, that would be ludicrous. You open yourself up to the Lord, and I guarantee you that he'll send the Holy Spirit. And you might say, oh, okay, well, I, I would love to do that, but I don't have that gift. If God decides to give me that gift, then I'll, I'll receive that gift. But the problem with this is that we're not talking about the gift, right? We're not talking about uh, the manifestational gift that we talked about last week. We're talking about a grace that allows a believer to pray in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about something that's quite different. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 through 15, Paul says, If I pray, look at the verse with me, if we can get that slide. It says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful, right? We've read this a few times. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. In other words, he's saying, I've got a choice to make. I can choose to pray in the spirit, or I can choose to pray with understanding, but we understand praying in the Spirit is very beneficial, and it is very biblical. But you have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. You have a will to decide. If you say, hey, will you come to the movies with me? You have a choice to make. You have a will to execute on. So there's a choice you have to make. It's not like you're going to show up in Kroger's, right, and be hit by the Holy Spirit and then grab the microphone and start singing or, or speaking in tongues over the entire building. That's not going to happen, although that would be pretty wild. I mean, 
You can call me and I'll videotape it if that's... But you have a choice to make, right? I mean, you don't show up in, in Kroger and say, okay, I just feel like I can't control my teaching gift anymore, so I'm going to grab the microphone and I'm going to start teaching trigonometry. No, you don't do that, right? You have a choice to make. And here's the question. Since it's scriptural and it actually builds you up, why would you not want to pray in a language? Well, I tried, and it sounds gibberish. Of course it does. You don't understand it. The Bible says you don't understand it, but yet you're edified by praying in this language. When a child speaks, you don't always understand what they're saying, right? You're not going to always understand it. I hesitate to almost go here. But when a person is is praying in this prayer language in the beginning, it's difficult to hear it as a language. When my children, every one of them, have learned to speak, and so have yours, I, I assume, there are some that struggle. Some struggle to say certain words and certain, you know, syllables or vowels or consonants more than the others. Eventually, that starts to work itself out. But in the beginning, some of them are difficult to understand, right? That's the way this is. You just get started, and you yield this thing, your tongue, to the Holy Spirit, and you allow him to do that supernatural work in your life. You're surrendering. You're, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm just going to put myself out. I want the fullness. I want everything you have for me, Lord. I see it in Scripture. I'm just going to open myself up. And it might sound unintelligible to you. It won't sound unintelligible to the Lord. In fact, when my children are learning to talk, it is the cutest thing ever. Let me be honest with you, right? Oh, will you say that one word again? Come on, just for dad, right? Or you, how many of you have ever tried to trick your children into saying something to your, you know, your parents or to somebody? Oh, so just to get them to say that one word again, that's just so adorable when they say it. It's cute, right? Every father loves to hear their children talk. Even when it's cute. Some, I, now, I know, I know some of you guys don't want to be cute with the Lord. But he loves it. He loves it. And as you put yourself out there, uh, something happens. Something happens. The Holy Spirit gets intertwined in the middle of all that. And he embraces you and, and you embrace him. And before you know it, he's flowing through your life. So isn't it about time? just to yield your tongue to the Lord, just to give, give him your tongue. Just open yourself up and say, I want the fullness of what this relationship could be like. In your quiet time, or maybe at your altar here, right? You open your mouth, you get into the presence of God. It's private. You just yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. You say, come, come. I want to, I want to experience this baptism. When I was in third grade, 
I had a dramatic experience. We, we, we were a part of a kind of a wild church. We had uh, extremely wealthy people, and then we had extremely uh, impar- impoverished, thuggish folks, and then we had, it, it was just a weird collection of folks, who, some street folks, and, um, and we were all mixed in this church. It was wild. It was wild church. I remember sometimes they, they would, you know, some folks would do inappropriate things in church. That never happens at COS. <laughs> But I will say this, that I went to the altar to receive the baptism um, with the Holy Spirit. And I, uh, I just was, uh, our pastor's great at giving an altar call. I just wanted the fullness, right? I wanted the Lord and everything he had for me. And I remember going down to the altar and my dad had to come with me so I didn't get kidnapped, right? And I remember praying and praying and then something occurred. I, it, it was one syllable, it was two syllables. It, it wasn't anything dramatic or special to anybody else. But, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit was doing something supernatural on little Anthony. And I was, God was moving. And as I experienced this fullness and as I started to pray in a different language, it was not complex. It sounded like gibberish. That's what it sounded like. But it, I knew it wasn't. And I felt wave after wave of his presence. And I remember going home. I didn't want to leave the altar because in my, in my mind, that had something to do with it, right? And, and I remember getting into my dad's car. My mom went home. And, and I got into my dad's car. And he had this uh, uh, silver Honda Accord with uh, uh, red velvet interior. And I remember getting in the back seat and, and then kneeling down at the back seat and praying and, and just going, just going for it. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. And, and I knew the Holy Spirit was at work within me. And, and, I, and I knew shortly thereafter I needed to plant a church in my neighborhood. And so I, you know, went to the babysitter's house. And they had an empty chicken coop there. I thought, that's the church plant. The Holy Spirit had moved on me. I didn't have any other choice. I was going to go win the world. And and, and I, I remember, you know, my, hooking my brother into this. And, and so we were like, okay, we, we got, you know, 50 cents worth of nails, about a pound of nails. And we, we hung a cross on the, on the chicken coop so that you could see it from the road. And then we tricked all the, uh, the babysitting kids to come inside the chicken coop. And, and I preached my first message out of my, you know, red New King James Bible over the only verse I knew, John three sixteen. And I preached in my heart outright, and, and, and then I offered them the opportunity to give their hearts to Christ, and, and everybody raised their hand but one. And uh, it was an amazing moment. I could feel the Holy Spirit. And then um, we took an offering, because that's what you need to do in church, amen? And we collected 50 cents. So we were debt-free on our first building program there. And something very unusual was happening with me. I thought it was unusual, but this is, this, is, this is just my story. Your story won't sound this way. Your story will sound different. It does sound different. And that's a good thing. That was just my personality. Just, this is, that's just the way God wired me. God's wired you differently. So this is, I'm not holding that up there as a standard. But what I will point out is not too long after that, the Holy Spirit was not emphasized like he should have been emphasized in my life. 
I stopped praying in tongues. I stopped praying in the Spirit. I stopped meeting with God in private, which is what he wants to do in your life. He wants you to experience the fullness of everything he has for you. And that's what we want for you. That's what I want for you. That's what, that's what God wants more than anything for you, right? The fullness of his, his presence in your life. And so I, I say this just to say that in 1989, I had a personal revival. And I came back and I said, Holy Spirit, I need you more now than I've ever needed you before. And I want you more than I've ever wanted you to before. It was a conscious decision. I made a choice. And that's really what we're talking about here. As the worship team comes and as the lights come down, here's what I'd ask you to do is to stand where you are. And before you is a choice, really. This is Communion Sunday. We're going to recognize the finished work of Christ on the cross, his broken body and his spilt blood, that which he did for us. No man took his life. He sacrificed himself for you and for me and for the world, for all those that would come. He lived here, lived amongst us, served us, and then eventually left us so that the Holy Spirit could come. But in these moments, we're about to partake in in communion. But I want to open up the altar. And I would encourage you, I would ask you, listen, I would implore you to come and meet with him at the altar. Take a moment, take take a chance. Allow your faith to get stirred up on the inside. I know some of you, you've, you've said to yourself, you know, I don't, I've tried so many times to receive what you're talking about. I get that 100%. But allow the scripture, allow the scripture to be your reality and not your experience. Allow what God said to be more important than anything you have experienced or anything that you've said or I've said you just come back to the Lord and know that he will meet with you and there will be a glorious future he will open up for you as you become more and more dependent on him dependent on his Holy Spirit open to the fullness of what he's got for you So will you come and we will take communion here in in just a moment. The altars are open. Don't be shy.
because you so willingly and so lovingly gave your body for us. We, we don't have to remain broken. We can come to you and you can, you can bring healing that is supernatural. You can bring the healing that we've always longed for. And so in this moment, Lord, we, we recognize your broken body and the that it does provide. Will you take of the bread with me? recognize your shed blood this is the blood Lord that you gave so that we could be washed white as snow that you could clean us Lord in a supernatural manner that leaves us forever changed right with you we couldn't have done this on our own Lord our righteousness is filthy rags, but here you are cleaning us. We thank you. We thank you for your blood. We recognize it and we accept it this morning. Would you partake of the cup with me? Thank you, Lord. The altars are open. Please come and pray. Lord, we confess our need for you, Holy Spirit. We want the fullness, Lord, of everything that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace upon your church and for those, Lord, who are earnestly seeking you. Lord, we recognize you as our Father, the giver of the very best gifts, the giver of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this relationship, and Lord, we thank you we thank you for your great love. Bless your people, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.
was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the castle So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time. Jesus, it has washed. 
terrific moment. Oh. How many of you are just so thankful for the blood? Oh. I love you. If you would like additional prayer, there are those there that will pray with you, pray for you. Would you close with me though? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for providing for us when Really, Lord, there was no way forward for us at all. We were dead in our trespasses, but you made us alive. Lord, we didn't have the get up and go to keep moving forward, but you gave us the power through your Holy Spirit. Here we are, Lord, dependent upon you, knowing and enjoying this intimate relationship. Bless your church, Lord, as we go from here this afternoon. Be with us, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. For joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.